Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here this morning, your beautiful faces. Glad to be back in the presence of God's people, in the front of God's word. So if you would, turn to the book of Hosea. This morning we're going to be beginning a new study. And so if you would find your place in Hosea, Just a little backdrop while you find your place. During during the time when the northern kingdom of Israel was divided from the southern kingdom of Israel, God spoke to his people through his prophet Hosea. Hosea was a a prophet in the north whom God used to demonstrate to his people how they've been unfaithful to him. To show Israel's unfaithfulness to God, Hosea was commanded to marry a prostitute. As you can imagine, this was going to be difficult. Hosea lived during some hard times. Some consider him to be the suffering prophet because of the difficulties he would have to face. However, it is through his suffering that he realizes what love truly is. This is the kind of love that is relentless even during times of unfaithfulness. And it's found in no other but God Almighty. If God wanted, to, wanted you to illustrate his love for sinners, how would you respond? Follow along with me in today's passage as I read. I'm going to be reading Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to read the first verse in chapter 2. Uh, believe that that connects together with these um, these verses in chapter one. So hear now the word of the living God. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. The Lord said to him, call her name Loramah. 
or no mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name Loami, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. The children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 2 verse 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we know you to be faithful and true, steadfast in your love. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the truth that is found in your word. We pray that you would help us to see plainly what your word is saying to us, individually and collectively, Lord. Speak to our hearts, O God. Speak to circumstances. Lord, help us as we embark on this new study, Lord. We pray that you would guide us and direct us. Teach us, O God. Help us to learn from you. And Lord, may you get all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. We ask all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. For our consideration, I've entitled this sermon, Are You Loyal to the Lord? Uh, Because we are being sanctified, uh, we're always growing. We're always maturing in Christ. There are areas that are not so strong. There are areas where we're weak. I believe in today's study, we're going to be able to look at our lives and look over it to see areas that we can improve in. Hosea is going to bring that out as we go through this this book. We're going to see how unfaithfulness affects the lives of God's people. But we're also going to see a God who is relentless, a God who never fails, a God is faithful to the end, even though his people are not. Hosea is a book named after one of God's prophets. We really don't know much about much information about him. 
We know that he, uh, his father's name is Berai. We don't know where his homeland was, but we know he's an educated man who knows his way around the Old Testament text. Before his marriage, he entered into a prophetic ministry um, through divine intervention. Hosea's prophetic ministry happened while he was living in Israel. And I've come to this conclusion based upon personal experience he made in Hosea 6, 7, and 12 concerning the king and surrounding areas. Concluded that he's living somewhere in Israel. Uh, this, this book is constructed in the Bible as the first and longest minor prophet, prophetic books. It's not a minor book because of importance, but rather because uh, of size. Compared to the other prophetic books, uh, it's small, but it still has the power, it still has value, it's not less than, because of the word minor, we use the word minor prophet. It's only because of the size compared to the other books. So in, in this book, the Lord pursues his people through his unwavering love. You will see God's patience at work in his pursuit to remain faithful to his covenant promises. For, for example, in, in Hosea chapter 2.19, if you look there, uh, the Lord says, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy. An example of this kind of love is illustrated in Hosea's life and family. So let's begin. It's been said that some people don't like surprises. People would even say, I, I just hate when you do that. Don't, don't do that. People hate surprises. Well, I don't know where you stand in regards to surprise, but we know that God in his providence is working out his divine plan and purpose for our lives according to his divine wisdom. And he doesn't always allow us to come in as to what he's doing. With that being said, God sometimes calls us to serve in ministry that is more enjoyable than not. But I can... I can tell you, the, if I can tell you the rest, he also calls us to ministry we don't enjoy. Sometimes our call to serve can be difficult. It can be discouraging. It can be depressing and even dreadful at times. The question is, are we receptive to both divine realities? Because if they're in our lives, then we know that God is working out his divine plan for our lives. So the question then becomes, when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, are we going to remain loyal? 
That's the question we're challenged with. Remaining faithful. Because God loves us unconditionally, we must repent of our sins and serve God with faithful, obedient hearts in every circumstance. God calls us to himself, therefore we belong to him. The calling he has placed on our lives belong to him as well. Therefore, we must serve him everywhere we go. Believers are called to specific places for specific assignments, for specific tasks and professions in life. However, everyone do not accept God's calling as a positive event. For example, the Lord says in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, for many are called. But few are chosen. How should we respond when the Lord calls us to serve him unexpectedly? In other words, we didn't have time to plan. We didn't have time to have our ducks lined up in a, in a row. However, the circumstance, whatever the situation, we ought to serve God with sincere hearts in a pure, in pure devotion. First, we see the unexpected call. After the word of God came to Hosea, the Holy Spirit wanted the listeners to know that the Lord was not speaking to Hosea at this point, but rather the Lord spoke through Hosea. I want us to get that. Listen again to what the text says. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said, During this time, it was tradition for marriages to be arranged by either parents or family members of the bride and groom. However, according to verse 2, Hosea's marriage was arranged by God. The text states that the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom can only imagine what some of you would have said had the Lord told you to go and marry someone in the same way. You can imagine, wait, wait, wait up, Lord. Hold up. Say what? But um, um, can, can we talk about it? You can imagine, right? Now, under normal circumstances, prophets spoke to the people of God given verbal instructions beginning with thus says the Lord. In this case, Hosea had been given instructions to to take a different approach. Instead, he was commanded to give to the people a prophetic action. In other words, he had to live his life in a certain way so that he might emphasize to the people what God has to say to them. He was commanded to take prophetic action to gain the people's attention. Hosea, go take for your wife of whor- a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. According to what I've 
I've read there's some differences in, in the interpretation of this command. Some would, would say, why would God ask a prophet to marry a prostitute? This, this doesn't make sense. And therefore, they believe that this is not to be considered a literal command, but argues that it ought to be accepted as allegory. They say this is symbolic to faithless Israel. There is some some truth to this idea, but it becomes more problematic if this is not a literal command. A non-literal reading creates more interpretive problems with this command, not to mention the entire book. These are supposed to be real people with real problems. Next, some believe that this is a literal command, but is also symbolic to faithless Israel. In other words, Hosea would marry and enjoy marriage for a while, but eventually his wife would become an adulterer. Whatever interpretation you choose, what's clear is Hosea's marriage to his unfaithful wife represents the Lord's marriage to an unfaithful covenant people. To state it another way, Hosea's life and broken marriage is symbolic to Israel's spiritual unfaithfulness and disloyalty. The people, as the text says, committed great whoredom. It was everywhere. This imagery is a graphic picture of the state of the people. They were unfaithful to their God. They abandoned the Lord to commit more sin. They were a treacherous people living like prostitutes, offering themselves to idols in the land. I want us to get an idea of how Israel was unfaithful to God. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 3 and let us read. Let us take a look at Jeremiah 3, and we're going to see verses 6 through 9 and what it was like there. The Lord said to me, in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one? Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet... Her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore because she took her whoredom lightly and she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Most of us understand that the Lord calls us to live for his glory, but we also know that it feels We know what it feels like to be unfaithful to God. We know what it feels like to fail. 
Sometimes we too can find ourselves committing spiritual adultery by putting created things before the creator. Things such as education, careers, relationships, children, spouses, bank accounts, investments, cars and houses, just fill in the blank. Anything that we're giving adoration to more than God and we've made an idol for ourselves. This can also be seen in our attitudes, such as pride and anger and jealousy, unbelief, stubbornness, hardness of heart, lack of faith, and selfishness to name a few. When we trust in worldly things and the flesh, we are disloyal and false to the one and only God. Listen to Job 31, 24 through 28. And if I have made gold for my trust or called fine gold my confidence, If I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to the God above. When we realize we're in a state of sin, unfaithfulness to God, or spiritual dryness, we should respond by repentance. Then we must arm ourselves with the truth by reading more of God's word. Then we ought to make sure we're having sufficient prayer time with the Lord. Faithfulness leads to unwavering devotion and commitment to God. Remember, the cross of Christ is worth it. Remember the cross of Christ. That ought to be enough to motivate us in servants and in obedience to God in all things. In 1 Samuel 12, 24, the text says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. These are the kinds of things and the kinds of ways we want to contemplate God. As we live through life, we want to contemplate God and what he have done for us. Hosea is a man we can learn from. After Hosea obeyed the Lord and took Gomer as his wife, he started a family with her just as God commanded him. His resilience and faithful obedience to God is obvious. What about you? Are you resilient? Or do you easily give up? If there's any kind of stress that's stopping you from reading God's word or from going to Bible study, is it easy for you to quit or to stop or not go? 
This is the challenge. Are you resilient with the desire to obey God? What areas do you need to be more resilient in trusting God? What areas do you want to be more consistent in obeying God? See, our work is not done. We must continue in trusting God in all things. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Next, this leads us to the unexpected names in verses three through nine. After the first child was born, he commanded Hosea to name the child Jezreel. He instructed Hosea to name the child Jezreel because it was a prophetic name. This name was This name has two meanings, which is interesting because on the one hand, it means prince with God. And on the other hand, it has a negative sense, meaning scattered by God. God, through naming the child, prophesied about his future judgment on the house of Jehu for the death of Jezreel and their disobedience to God. In other words, God is going to take his vengeance. According to 2 Kings 9, Jehu was anointed king over Israel and was given specific commands to kill Ahab. You remember Ahab uh, was the husband of his wife Jezebel who killed the prophets. And so God was going to revenge his his avenge his prophets. And so his assignment, Jehu's assignment was to kill Ahab that he may avenge on Jezebel the blood of the prophets of the Lord and the blood of all the servants of God. Instead of stopping with Jehu, he went on a killing spree and he killed a couple of more people. It's going to be judgment for that. According to verse 5, the bow of Israel is symbolic to Israel's military power. Verse 5 says, and on that day, what day? The day of Jezreel. It was predicted that at a certain time, Israel will face execution in the valley of Jezreel. The northern kingdom of Israel will be no more. Next, Gomer has a second child, and it's a girl. But it's strange that God didn't say, as stated in verse 3, for their son that she conceived and bore him a daughter. Instead, the text says, she conceived again and bore a daughter. The reason is clear. Hosea's wife as God prophesied she would, at this point is living an immoral life and is unfaithful to her husband by committing sexual relations outside of their marriage. 
After Gomer gave birth, God ordered Hosea to name her No Mercy. Again, it was a prophetic name. This had to speak to the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. This meant that in the future, God would have no more mercy on the house of Israel because of their unfaithfulness and disloyalty. God would no longer forgive or extend mercy to Israel. However, in verse 7, the Lord said, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. In other words, it won't be because of you. The Israelites again and again broke covenant with God through unfaithful acts of disobedience. And all the while, it was God's plan to bring about redemption and restoration and salvation and repentance for his people. God chose to show mercy to the house of Judah. This was God's sovereign plan according to the promises he made with Abraham. God would show mercy to the house of Judah by granting salvation through the Lord their God. The house of Judah would not be saved by bow, by sword, by war, by horse, or by horsemen. Military power can't be trusted. Material wealth can't be trusted. Human wisdom can't be trusted. Nothing in this world can be trusted and relied upon. But they must look to their God who is faithful, the one who have made covenant with them. They must look to him. They must serve and worship as the scripture commands them. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. But the people had abandoned God. All of the things that God has commanded, they have walked away. They have disregarded the word. They stopped teaching their children. They walked away and began giving themselves over to idols. The Lord, despite all of that, showed his mercy by not giving them what they rightfully deserve. Just as, just as there's a remnant who trusted in the coming Messiah through faith, we exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah who came, lived, died, was buried, and rose again from the grave, granting salvation to all who would believe in him. The Lord showed us mercy by not giving us what we rightfully deserve. How much more should we be loyal to him? How much more should we honor him in all things? The fact that he died for our sins to pay for our sins from 
Death, I mean, from conception to the grave to pay for it all. What can we give to God that we can say we're even now? We owe God our everything. Outside of Christ, there's, there's no hope. There's no mercy. Those of us who are here today, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I beg you to come. Come and be saved in Christ alone. You don't have to bring any good deeds. You don't have to bring any good efforts. You don't have to have a good week or a good day. Come to Christ as you are. Trust in him alone for your salvation and be saved. Bring your faith and nothing else. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and be saved. For there is no safe place outside of Christ. The Lord God is coming with vengeance. He's coming to pay justice. And the safe place The refuge is in Christ, and the only requirement is faith and trusting in him. In verses 8 and 9, it states, when she, Gomer, had weaned no mercy, she received and bore a son, and the Lord said, call his name not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. You see, there's no middle ground where we're either for God or against God. Gomer had a third child. It's a boy. Again, notice the text doesn't mention Hosea as having a son, which seemed to indicate that this too is not his child, but is another man's son. This again points to Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord their God. So now do you see the the prophecy of Isaiah? I mean, the prophecy of Hosea not being necessarily professed in the normal way? But it being professed through his life, you see faithful Hosea and unfaithful Gomer. You see a faithful God and an unfaithful people. This again points to Israel's condition. God commanded Hosea to name the boy, not my people. The people of Israel were not committed to the Lord and the Lord made no claim to them because they sought after pagan gods. We must commit. We must commit to to God by being connected to his people. We should never buy into this false analogy that the world is more loving than the church. That can't be because when the word of God is preached and when genuine believers respond, there's unity, there's love, and there's fellowship. Lastly, the unexpected plan. In verse 10, it states, 
Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for the great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. These are the ones who are elected by God to be rescued from unfaithful and rebellious sinners and saved through God's unconditional love. We have much to be thankful for. Thank God for the loyalty he has for us is not dependent upon our loyalty for him. If that was the case, we'd be in trouble. As you can see, Israel's rejection has been lifted and God's covenantal promises has been granted. God's primary way of communicating the good news of Jesus Christ and making the faithless become faithful is done by his relentless and merciful measures to love us unconditionally. Anytime we're sinning against God, we commit spiritual adultery. The only remedy for this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must repent and look to him. Remember, you are God's people. And the scripture teaches us that We're to confess our sins because we are God's people. You are children of the living God, one unified people. Christ is God's appointed head. And just as they look forward to the Messiah by faith, we look back to Christ by faith. In every circumstance, in every trial, in all that we do in life, we continue looking to Christ, remembering his love for us, and that he went to a cross and died for our sins, that we might have rights to the tree of life. We must remain loyal, remain faithful. Christ is God's appointed head. He is the head of the church. We are his people, his bride, his beloved. Let us not forget who we are in Christ. That ought to motivate us to live for him each day. Loving him. Obeying his word. Looking to him. Day by day. So let us continue as we seek the Lord our God, as we faithfully serve him. I hope you're challenged today 
with seeing areas that you can improve upon. I know I've been able to see areas I've been able to improve upon. And hopefully we can leave here a changed people every day being sanctified for the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for your word. We pray, Lord, that your word would be efficacious. Your word would help us that we might live for you day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.